Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. How many times have you heard someone say the phrase, we all lead busy lives? Busy isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's what busyness causes that can be bad for us. Here's First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw to explain. Good morning, I'm Tim Shaw, one of the pastors here on staff, and this morning I want to take a look at a passage from chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, where Jesus makes some remarkable promises to us. He's inviting us into a relationship with himself. And I think, based on my own experience, that if we say yes to that invitation, we will experience greater love, deeper joy, and greater peace. Before we take a look at those amazing promises, I want to take a few minutes and talk with you about why I think we should take him up on this invitation and why it seems to be so difficult for some of us to do that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that your presence is here with us. We thank you, Jesus, for being here with us. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place and teach us, guide us, lead us, transform us, that we might look more like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. In the year 2000, before the digital revolution really kicked into high gear, before our smartphones and our tablets were constantly connected to the internet, it is reported that the average human attention span was, are you ready for this? The average human attention span was 12 seconds. I don't know who measures these things, but apparently at the turn of the century, we had an average attention span to be able to focus in on one thing for 12 seconds. Which reminds me of one of my favorite scenes from the Pixar movie, Up. How many of you guys have seen this film? All right. For those of you who have not seen it, I think you should go out and rent it this week or go online. For those of you who have watched Up, uh, do you remember the scene when Russell, who's the young wilderness explorer, and his Kapuna friend, Mr. Fredrickson, meet a dog named Doug who could talk? And if you do, you, you know what I'm talking about when I say that we have very short attention spans. I don't know about you, but I can relate to Doug. Sometimes I'm so easily distracted. It's like I've seen a squirrel. For example, when I uh, am writing a sermon like this one and fall down some internet rabbit hole while researching video clips to illustrate what I'd like to say. And that can be a problem when I fall down that rabbit hole because I can be in that rabbit hole for a long time. (laughs) According to experts, we have a 12 second attention span. And I'd like to put this theory to a test this morning. I'm gonna show you a four second video clip of a fish in a fish tank. I'm gonna show it to you three times, back to back to back. And here's the challenge. I'm going to see if you can focus solely on that fish for 12 seconds without allowing a distracting thought to enter your mind for 12 seconds. You ready? Can you do this? Get set, let's roll the clip. So how'd you do? You can tell I have a very low entertainment threshold. (laughs) I love the fact that the other fish sort of swims and goes, 
You okay, bro? <laughs> Did you stay focused on that fish for 12 seconds without being distracted? Be honest, how many of you had this thought come into your head? I think something's wrong with Pastor Tim. <laughs> Seems like he might be losing it. And we lose focus because of a, of a thought like that or something else, maybe like, what was for lunch? Or, uh, oh yeah, I need to call my friend. Or, or I wonder where the waves are big today. Um, or did, you, did I unplug the iron? Or a million other possibilities. Well, I've got an update on our attention spans. The attention span people have re-measured our ability to keep our minds focused on one thing. Over the last 22 years, our collective attention spans has gone from 12 seconds to eight seconds. And to put things in perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. Yep, that's right, we're now losing to goldfish. What has happened in the last 22 years to shorten our attention spans? I think one of the things that has happened is that some of us have started living our lives at a much faster pace. The pace at which we live our life has gone up. It's gone way up. I was raised in Southern California, the land of speed. I was there a couple of weeks ago, and there is one spot on the 405 freeway in SoCal that is, has 16 lanes. Eight lanes headed north, eight lanes headed south, and they're all packed with cars going at least 75 miles an hour. You have got to be on your game. You've got to bring your game if you're going to drive in Southern California. I learned to drive on those highways. To survive on those roads, you've always needed to accelerate with confidence and assert yourself into the flow of traffic without hesitating. But now, some drivers are not just asserting themselves, they are downright aggressive. People weaving in and out of traffic a foot away from other cars. It's wild. It's like a racetrack. Everybody seems to be in a hurry. I remember one of the first times that I traveled and vacationed here in Hawaii, I will never forget the police officer who was standing in traffic at the Lihui Airport on Kauai, simply encouraged me to calm down as I tried to bring my California driving skills to Hawaii. As I accelerated my rental car away from the curb, the officer simply pointed his palms to the pavement and said, slow down. You can leave those skills on the plane that you came here on. You can just settle down and relax. John Mark Comer has written a book that currently is occupying a lot of my attention. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World. How's that for a title? This book has my attention because I've been thinking a lot about transformation, how lasting change can happen in my life, and how it happens in the lives of other followers of Jesus. And I'm beginning to suspect that transformation and real change has something to do with the provocative title of this book. We need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Because that is the only way we are going to be able to achieve and maintain emotional and relational health, as well as spiritual vitality in the midst of the chaos of our world. In the prologue to his book, John Mark Comer remembers 
some of the events that were taking place in his life and ministry that led him to ask some really important questions about transformation and how he could be transformed more completely into a reflection of Jesus Christ. And during this exceptionally busy time in his life as a pastor, as an author, as a husband and father to three young children, he wrote these words on board a flight back to Portland, where he lives. Sitting in aisle seat 21C, musing over how to answer another tense email, a virgin thought comes to my, the surface of my mind. Maybe it's the thin atmosphere of 30,000 feet, but I don't think so. This thought has been trying to break out for months, if not years, but I've not let it. It's too dangerous, too much of a threat to the status quo. But the time has come for it to be uncaged. Let loose in the wild. Here it is. What if I changed my life? What if I changed my life? That is kind of a scary question for many of us to ask ourselves. Even if we're currently buried, busy, and broken, even if we're discouraged, depressed, and desperately in need of help, even if we know we can't li keep living like the way we're living, addicted and anxious and angry, the thought of making some real changes in our lives sometimes seems impossible and maybe too scary. In a conversation with one of his mentors, a guy by the name of John Ortberg, who recently spoke at the HIM conference, John Mark learned of a conversation that Ortberg had with Dallas Willard, who was one of Ortberg's mentors. If you don't know who Dallas Willard was, you can thank me later. Um, he was a Christian philosopher at the University of Southern California, some random school in California. Um, uh, Dallas died in 2013. Um, we should all be reading his books. One day, John Artberg called up Dallas because he felt like he was being sucked into a vortex that was hindering his growth as a follower of Jesus. John did not like the person he was becoming. He was a super successful pastor, well-respected and appreciated, but he was concerned about the person he knew he was becoming in the crucible that was his life. So he called up Dallas Willard and asked this simple yet profound question. What do I need to do to become the me I want to be? That's a really great question. Do I have the courage to ask myself that question? Do I have the guts to hear and respond to the answer to that question? Is it a question you might need to ask yourself? What do I need to do to become the me I really want to be? Do you have the courage to ask yourself that question and then follow through with the necessary changes that you might need to make? John Arpurg reported that there was a long silence on the other end of the phone line after he asked Dallas his question. Apparently it wasn't unusual for there to be long pauses in their conversations. Finally, Willard responded, and you might want to get ready to write this down or make a note in your phone. Here's what Willard said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And after John recorded that pithy piece of wisdom in his notebook, he asked, okay, what, what, what else? That sounds like something I'd say. 
I can imagine myself saying the same thing to Dallas Wilder. Okay, I got it. Point number one, really good. I must eliminate hurry from my life. So what's next? What else? When John Arpberg asked, okay, what else? That question was also followed by a long period of silence. Finally, Willard said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And that's how that mentoring conversation with Dallas Willard ended that day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. For many of us, that is easier said than done. Corey Ten Boom, the famed author and concentration camp survivor, once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Why? Because both will cut off your connection to God, to others, and even our own souls. I have a sneaking suspicion that sometimes one of the main hindrances to my own growth as a follower of Jesus has something to do with the fact that I am often simply too busy. No one is making me busy. Our senior pastor is not placing unrealistic burdens and expectations on me. You are not pressuring me to do more, at least I don't think that you are. It's me. I often choose a life of busyness and hurry all on my own. Why I sometimes do that is in itself a very interesting question. I have some thoughts about that for another time. I often choose a life of busyness and hurry all on my own. It's a strategy of distraction. But at what cost? To live a life of hurry can come at great personal cost. Because we cannot love well, we cannot experience the depths of joy that only are possible when we are truly present to what is going on around us right now. And we cannot be at peace if we are always in a hurry. John Marcoma writes, there is a healthy kind of busyness where your life is full with things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. By that definition, Jesus himself was busy. The problem isn't when you have a lot to do. It's when you have too much to do, and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. Love and joy and peace are at the heart of everything Jesus is trying to grow and develop in the soil of our lives. Love and joy and peace are what live at the heart of the kingdom of God. These are the virtues that shape and define what life as an apprentice of Jesus is designed to look like. We were created to have love and joy and peace permeating and animating our lives. And all three are incompatible with a hurried life. That's the truth, that's the challenge in John Mark Comer's book that he set off in a very helpful explosion in my own life. It's really not surprising that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote about love in his often quoted verses in 1 Corinthians 13, that he says the first characteristic of love is, anyone know? Patience. 
it is very difficult to demonstrate patience, to be patient, to listen well and with compassion when we are in a hurry. John Arpberg once said, I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. When I'm always in a hurry, when I am constantly distracted, what often gets sacrificed is setting aside time for what is most important and what is essential. When I do not prioritize what is life-giving and essential, the rest of life does not go as well as it might. On April 30th, my three siblings, Dana, Cindy, and Debbie, and I, and our extended family held a memorial service for my mom. She went home to be with Jesus on February 13th. She was 100 years old. She loved Hawaii, and she loved the people of our church that she had a chance to meet. I think she made seven trips to Hawaii in the nine years that I have been here, and all those trips took place in her 90s. What was driven home to me once again as we celebrated my mom's life are the things in life that are ultimately most important. As I listened to the testimonies from friends and family members, what struck me was how wealthy my mom was in character and in relationships. She was certainly not a perfect person, none of us are, but at the end of her life, she was wealthy in the fruit of the Spirit. Her character looked more like the character of Jesus, and she was rich in relationships with people who loved her. In her eulogy for my mom, my sister Debbie commented on something that had often confused and at times frustrated Debbie about my, our mom. The thing that our mom did was confusing to my sister until she finally understood what our mom was actually up to. My mom always, I mean always, sent in the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes form. Anybody else? Every time it arrived in the mailbox, she filled it out and sent it in. Even when her eyesight was too poor to fill it out on her own, she sent it in with the help of one of her children or her grandchildren. Debbie never said anything to my mom about the odds of winning and how low they actually were. My mom knew that. Debbie never voiced her bewilderment at why our mom kept sending in the sweepstakes form. In her eulogy, Debbie said she finally realized why my mom kept trying to win. At the end of her life, my mom had very few financial assets. There was no inheritance to pass down to a new generation, no stocks, no insurance policies, or property. What Debbie said she realized was that our mom was not entering the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes for herself. She was doing it for us. She wanted to try and make our lives easier, better, happier. And this is just one of the ways that she attempted to do that. Unfortunately, she didn't succeed at this effort. But she more than succeeded in many ways to make our lives much richer. In 2015, David Brooks wrote an op-ed in the New York Times entitled The Moral Bucket List. In that article, he talked about the difference between what he calls resume virtues and eulogy virtues. 
He writes, the resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Whether you are kind, brave, honest, or faithful, whether were you capable of deep love. We all know that the eulogy virtues are more important than the resume ones, but our culture and our educational system spend more time teaching the skills and strategies you need for career success than the qualities you need to radiate that sort of inner light. Many of us are clearer on how to build an external career than how to build inner character. Brooks's op-ed is definitely worth a read if you get the chance. He goes on to argue that to build eulogy virtues, we must be as committed to that process as we are to building our career resume and maybe even more committed. My mom put effort into building her eulogy virtues. Her character reflected that she had a growing, deepening relationship with Jesus and that people in her life were primary. To build a life like that, a life that is wealthy in eulogy virtues, and to construct a life that is permeated and defined by love, joy, and peace, I am more and more convinced that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. We need to eliminate hurry so we can make time to grow our relationship with God. Listen to what Jesus is offering to each one of us in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Listen very carefully, because what is being offered to us is truly beyond imagination. He is not forcing this on us, but simply offering it to us. And when we begin to understand what Jesus is saying, how could we not do everything we need to do to slow our lives down and experience more of God's presence in our lives. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The word that's translated if can also be translated when. When you love me, you will be keeping these commands of mine. I love that translation by pastor and biblical scholar Dale Bruner. When you love me, you will be keeping these commands of mine. So what commands is Jesus talking about? He's specifically referring to the commands he had just given his disciples at the last meal that they shared together. At the Last Supper, as Jesus stooped down to wash his disciples' feet, an act that they resisted at first, Jesus' first command to his disciples was to let themselves be loved by him, to let him wash their feet. Here we see Jesus, God in human flesh, who wanted to cleanse them, forgive them, restore them, and invite them into an intimate relationship of love. And that was all made possible because he took our sins upon himself on the cross. Letting Jesus love us is the foundation for everything else in our lives. And Jesus' second command springs out of the first one. Jesus says that when we let him love us, heal us, forgive us, renew us, fill us up with himself, we are then have a greater capacity to love others. 
In verse 18 of chapter 14, Jesus continues, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That, my friends, is the most staggering promise anyone has ever made to anyone. And I'm going to read it to you again because of that eight second attention span thing. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Wow. I love how Dale Bruner translates the word that is rendered as helper in this version of the Bible. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I was still with you, but the true friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I love that. What Bruner has done has taken this fascinating Greek word, parakletos, which literally means the one called alongside to help, the encourager, the advocate, the counselor, and so much more. And he's gathered up all those meanings and translated it as true friend. Our true friend wants to meet with us and journey with us through our lives. Look at what Jesus is promising us. When we entrust our lives to him, he and God the Father will come to us by his spirit and make their home in us. We will be in Christ and Christ will live in us by the Holy Spirit and be our true friend. So here's the big question John Mark Comer's book has presented to me. Am I too busy to spend time with a friend like that? I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of John Mark Comer's book and read it, maybe study it with others. He has lots of practical, doable suggestions to help us slow down and learn how we can grow our relationship with God. Maybe we need to take what's called a digital Sabbath once a week that would help us throttle back our lives. I'm working on this one. Once a week, the Comers unplug all of their phones, their screens, and put them in a box in a closet and take a digital Sabbath for 24 hours. I've actually ordered an analog clock so I do not use my phone to wake up in the morning. This is too easy to start reading the news before I'm even out of bed. What John Mark 
has also done is to put his phone in a charging box every night at 8.30 p.m. and does not take it out until the next morning after he has spent some unhurried time with God. Maybe digital temptations are not what's distracting you. Maybe there are others. Those are some of his practices. What might ours be? To live a life of hurry can come at great personal cost because we cannot love well We cannot experience the depths of joy that are possible when we are truly present to what is going on around us. And we cannot be at peace if we are always in a hurry. You might be sitting there thinking, uh, that's easy for you to say, Reverend. You don't understand what my life is like right now. And I'd say, you're right. I don't know all the challenges and time constraints that you're facing. But what do you need to do to slow down, receive more of God's spirit and presence in your life so that you might love well, experience greater joy, and be more at peace? If we want to build our eulogy virtues and not just our resume virtues, we just might have some tough decisions to make. In closing, I wanna show you the four minute tribute video created by my sister, Debbie, in honor of our mom, who may have not been rich in things, but is wealthy in character and relationships. How is our character becoming more Christ-like? And what is it like to be in a relationship with us? Are we building those resume, not the resume virtues only, but the eulogy virtues? May we be challenged by what this remarkable woman discovered about what is most important. Her life on this earth came to a close as a wealthy person who was rich in character and in relationships. Awesome sermon, Tim. Profound. And seeing that video chokes me up. That was very um, moving. And that really is a challenge for us all, right? To live 100 years as Tim's mom, and she doesn't have the resume that she worked in Wall Street or worked for Apple or Google. Um, But you can see the eulogy of the love she had for her children and for life and playing the piano. It's my belief that deep down inside, many of us want to live that life. And today, through the grace of the Holy Spirit and Pastor Tim, we have some tips of how to begin that journey or rekindle the fires of the commitment for that journey. You notice in the title of that book that Tim mentioned is Ruthlessly Eliminate Hurry. And my sense is there are people here in this room, as well as online, who want to begin that ruthless journey. And that there's some here who say, okay, I'm gonna strive to live a eulogy life and not a resume life. I'm gonna strive to live, as, as it said in the Gospel of John passage, to live close to Jesus and eliminate hurry to the best of my ability. 
So I'm going to ask those of you who are at that cusp of making that decision to stand, and then I'm going to say a prayer for you. And you may think, oh, man, Dan, you're going to ask me to stand? Well, that begins the ruthless elimination of hurry. It's not a gentle, subtle one, but we're saying stake in the ground. I want in, and I want the help of the helper that Tim talked about and Jesus talked about, the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the counselor, to assist me in that journey. If you're at that place, would you stand right now? And I would love to say a prayer for you. And we're all going to pray for you. And if you're online, you might stand in your kitchen or wherever you are too. Many are standing if you're online. And now receive this, this prayer and blessing for me from the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, you see these wonderful people standing. And I pray now that the Holy Spirit might fall upon them in a wonderful, gentle way. And even as I'm praying, they're feeling the warmth of your Holy Spirit bathing them and like a gentle stream going through their bodies. I pray that you seal in their hearts this commitment to eliminate hurry and to live a eulogy life. And as I pray a bit more, I ask those who are seated here in the sanctuary that they may look around and maybe stretch out a hand and join me in the prayer because it will take a community to make this happen. And they might do that right now. Just stretch out a hand to somebody near you. And so, Lord, as a family, as an ohana, we want to support one another and ourselves in living a life of eulogy, in living a life of having you grafted into our souls. And we pray that we'll make time for you and for others and build a life that really counts, a life of love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As the worship team comes up, this is our time to continue in worship of the one who gives us purpose and life and the strength and the ability to carry out our heart's desires. And that we're reminded that with the Holy Spirit, we have the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and patience and peace and kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the last one, self-control. The self-control to live the life that Christ asks us to do. Well, if you'd like to talk or to pray with someone after the service, friends in the far corner, we'd be happy to talk with pray, pray with you. If you're online, just hit the uh, ask for prayer button and someone will meet with you in a private chat room. We'd be happy to pray with you. If you like to stick around, you're here in Ko'olai and you want to stick around for uh, some coffee, the coffee bar is open and I encourage you to go over there and connect with one another. Now receive this blessing. Now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory forever and ever, both now and forevermore. And God's people said, amen. Have a great week. We have our work cut out for us. 
Only you know what needs to change to eliminate hurry in your life. The results can help you get closer to God and live that eulogy life. If you want to catch up on or listen again to previous services, visit our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Press Sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. Please subscribe there. First Press invites you to church. There are two ways to worship, in person and online. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus, 10 a.m. at the Vine, or online at fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Remember, when you visit the First Prez websites, sign up for emails for links to sermons, daily devotionals, church news and updates, and lots, lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.